question the integrity of the investigation. They cite his previous comments criticizing Robert Mueller's investigation as a reason for him to back down. They want Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein to continue to supervise the Mueller probe. Tim McGuire. And I'm Tommy McNeely News. It's Friday, November 9th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Sarums in Washington. Coming up, law enforcement authorities try to find out why a former Marine shot dead 12 people at a nightclub in California. Firefighters battle three major wildfires in California, and a house in Germany is now a center for social understanding. It's all ahead. A vigil was held Thursday night in the California where a gun gunman killed 12 people at a bar before taking his own life. Police and clergy joined citizens in Thousand Oaks to remember those gunned down by a 28-year-old Marine Corps veteran at the Borderline Bar and Grill. The FBI is examining Ian Dale's home and clues to a state of mind before Wednesday's late-night shooting at the bar crowded with students who regularly attended its country music dance party. Shootings are very rare. Thousand Oaks, a city of about 130,000, 64 kilometers west of Los Angeles. President Donald Trump commented on the shooter at the White House Friday. He's a very sick, it's a mental health problem. He is a sick puppy. He was a very, very sick guy. Not too many people knew about it, but now that they're looking, they're starting to see he had a lot of problems, a lot of trouble, and we're very much into that. As you know, I funded a lot of money toward mental health for that reason, and we're continuing to do it, and we continue to look at the laws. We want to make sure look, it, it, is a, it is a problem. It's a disastrous problem. It makes you sick to look at it, but he was a, a very, very ill person. One of the victims, Tox Orfanos, had already survived the onslaught of another at a music festival in Las Vegas last year. Orfanos died Wednesday, less than 10 minutes away from home. VOA's Elizabeth is in Thousand Oaks. She talks with me about the grim situation where one man avoided death in Las Vegas but was killed in Thousand Oaks. Yes, that's amazing. I mean, a lot of people who were at the Las Vegas concert and witnessed and experienced the shivs in this part of greater Los Angeles. It is a bedroom community. It is the suburbs. And so um, several people, you know, who who live here said they survived uh, some horrific of Las Vegas. And it is just unimaginable that they're hearing about this kind of shooting in their own backyard. And it's I've talked to one woman who is 22 years old, and she was rushing just the next after the shooting in Thousand Oaks to give, and she said that she, it, it took a year and she's still crying and she couldn't stop crying when she heard about this. At three o'clock in the morning, she gets a phone call from friends asking if she's okay, worried that she may have gone to this uh, country western bar. It is a bar that she goes, to, she's gone before, and uh, even now she's afraid to go shopping, to go to the mall to go to the grocery store. She thinks twice. Anywhere there is a large crowd of people gathered, she is afraid. So this has, and she says, it doesn't get, e- it, it does get easier. You never get used to it. 
but this kind of new reality state has gotten normalized, and it's deceiving in many ways. Yeah, I believe you also spoke to a mother of three who talked to you about, you know, the effect, uh, the impact that all of this is having on her. Yes, she was our tears. She has a twin girls and a, a much younger, just several months old, and she she felt really needed to be out there to do something about. Though she doesn't know what. That, that back when she was in school, thirty, she said when she was in school. All she had to worry about was about the next. But now she has to teach her kids that what do you do if there's a shooter? I mean, it's a cool conversation that mothers will have. And said it's just heart wrenching and sick to her stomach that she would have to have these kind of conversations for her young kids or even not so young kids. And kids are used to, depending on what parts of the country, fire drills, tornado drills, even earthquake drills in California. But mothers never thought that they would have to about having active shooter drills at school, and so she said something needs to be to stop this kind of constant, you know, another shooting, a mass shooting. She doesn't know what, but she believes that some sort of more what she calls it common sense gun regulation may be a start. But she realizes this is a multifaceted problem, and she said in many ways she is living it for kids. And she defines this as the kind of domestic terrorism that she said that she and many of her other moms are living in a state of fear in their own within their own borders amongst themselves. And she was very emotional, talked to me, very scared, and really wanted to take action, but doesn't know what it would take. What California authorities said about this? About the incident? Yes. Right now they are because the the sure was found dead in the bar, so the two kind of figure out what his motive is. The FBI, the federal authorities, have gone to his home, taken his equipment, his computers, trying to get a little history and hoping to figure out what may have caused this man to, you know, take a gun and go into a bar and shoot uh, 12 people. And, well, he went and ended up killing 12 people. Now, he was, the only thing we know about him at this point is that uh, he's retired from the Marines, and since he, he was living at home with his mom, and neighbors report that he, they've witnessed some erratic behavior from this gentleman and that he wasn't very friendly. So the suspicion of PT, but right now it's too early to tell. Now it's all speculation, and the officials are trying to meticulously through all this electronic evidence to try piece together what may have caused this man to do what he did. Via Elizabeth Lee reporting from Thousand Oaks, California. For some of the top news are trending. President Donald Trump praises Attorney General Matt Whitaker while distancing himself from controversial appointee. Three explosions rock Somalia's capital. 27 people are dead, including the gun. America is found guilty of corruption in the Philippines and an Austrian art colonel is suspected of signing for Russia. Expanded coverage of these stories and more are on the voanews.com website. This is VOA. This is Science in a Minute. 
The U.S. Geological Survey says 71% of the Earth's surface is covered with water. A couple of recent studies have also suggested that there are oceans of water inside our planet's mantle. Scientists suggest after its formation about 4.0 billion years ago, Earth was a dry, hot, and planet. A heavy bombardment of water and ice-bearing asteroids and comets several million to a billion years later provides live H2O we relay. Now, research by a team of geoscientists from Arizona State University proposes another source of Earth's water has been overlooked. The sun and planets were formed from a large cloud of gas and dust containing supply of hydrogen. The study suggests a combination of all that hydrogen along with Earth's rocky materials could be the origin of most of our planet's water. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. This is International Edition on the Voice of America. I'm Sarah Williams. Coming up, the political year of the woman proves true here in the United States. We'll have a report. California authorities are battling major wildfires. VOA Los Angeles Bureau Chief Mike O'Sullivan tells me about the huge blaze. The fire in Northern California, which has been very destructive, they're calling the Camp Fire, and it's near the town of Paradise, uh, which is about a 90-minute drive north of Sacramento in the northern part of the state. They say this town, Paradise, a a town of about 27,000 people, has been devastated. Some people are saying nearly destroyed, so there's been widespread destruction there, uh, possibly a thousand structures burnt. And there are two fires burning in northeastern Los Angeles on the edge of Los Angeles and Ventura counties. Uh, They're calling the Hill and the Woolsey fires. Those are smaller, but they're spreading fast. And uh, one of those fires is near the tragic shooting that took place in the city of Thousand Oaks on uh, Wednesday night. At the, uh, the, you know, the, 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 say the, the Paradise Fire, is that situation, I mean, are authorities and fire officials able to get in to try to treat the situation? Well, you know, what, uh, what they they have a, a mandatory evacuation for area, something there are tens of thousands of people that have been uh, uh, forced out of their homes. And, you know, these, these are called mandatory evacuations, uh, but authorities only hope that people uh, get out. Uh, and typically, um, you know, they, they find people who stay and try to fight them. Uh, a lot of those people have moved to nearby cities uh, like uh, Chico, which is a city of uh, 90,000, but the fire has spread up to the edge of Chico. So it's very tough for the firefighters because they have access to some areas and they have to stay out of others. As the, as the fire approaches a town, they just try to make sure everybody is out and establish a perimeter and they can't save the building. At a certain point, they have to pull back. So I, I think they, they basically lost control of the city of uh, uh, Paradise, but they're, you know, they pour all their resources into these urban areas when they're approaching. And then meanwhile, there are these two other fires in the Los Angeles area. Certainly, that's a very heavily populated area. That is. Uh, it's a northeastern, uh, it's a suburban area. But uh, what has happened, because the population in California is growing so rapidly, is that you see more suburban housing in these rustic air wilderness areas, or at least pushing up to them. So areas like um, uh, Simi Valley, which is a, a pleasant suburban area, but it's not far from wooded hillsides, and the fires hit those areas, and you get a strong wind as we're getting strong wind in from the desert, uh, what they call Santa Ana winds, typically come a time of year. Those gusty, strong, gusty, dry winds 
can blow the humbers around and carry them sometimes for you know a kilometer or more and uh, spread the fire rapidly. And this is what happened uh, when the uh, uh, the 101 freeway, which is a major north-south artery, was closed as the embers blew from one side. Uh, burning on both sides, so the authorities just had to close out the freeway. It does seem that this time of year, California falls falls victim to these fires. It happens every year, and it always has. Very little uh, rainfall in the summer months, uh, which is July, and is mostly in January, February. So as you approach the, the, the rainier season, uh, things are very dry, and again, we, we get those dry desert winds blowing in. So you've got all the conditions for uh, wildfires uh, to spread. Uh, and compounding that, in recent years, we've had uh, at least six drought years. Two years ago, we had a good rainfall, but uh, this past year has been uh, very dry. We're seeing more drought years for what's in, you know, the climate, it may be a natural cycle, but climate change is probably part of it, the experts are telling us. And the, the more successful drought years you have, the more uh, what we call uh, fuel, combustible fuel, will be on those hillsides uh, just w- w- waiting for a spot to uh, combust. VOA's Los Angeles Bureau Chief, Mike Americans are sending a record number of women to legislatures around the country. At 120 female candidates, both Republicans and Democrats, won their in Tuesday's election. Always Carolyn Pursuti reports on this female candidate on the national level. It started with pink because women saw red. Don't diss us. We're going to be fighting. Some say they went straight into the House. This House, the U.S. House of Representatives, where a record number of women, at least 96 of them, will begin their new terms in January. 25 of them are new to politics. Like Debbie Mukarsel, Florida, who introduced herself to voters in a very unique way. I've been put down, pushed aside. And Sharice Davids of Kansas, who is a lesbian and a mixed voice fighter. She shares the title of first Native American woman in Congress with Deb Holland of New Mexico. I didn't have a role model in Congress, someone, uh, another Native woman that I could go to and ask, uh, how did you do this? Uh, what advice you give me? This is the year of the woman. That's Dale Florida, a former cabinet secretary who was freshman representative at age 77. And then there are the two youngest women in history, 29-year-old Abby Finkenauer of Iowa and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York. That's exactly what this is, not a campaign or an election day movement. And that movement elected the first two Muslim women to Congress. Congresswoman elect. Tlaib shares the light with Ilhan Omar of Minnesota. Republican Kim of California appears to have won her election to be the first Korean-American in the U.S. House. And House member Marsha Blackburn became Tennessee's first female senator. The women swept into office was 1992, also known as the year of the woman. But back then, 24 were elected to the House and six to the Senate. Analysts sent female candidate wave to continue. Now that women have gotten a taste and a flavor for what they they really have broadened goals to be about policy priorities and issues that matter to them. Just last month, the Interparliamentary Union ranked the U.S. 104th in the world for the number of female legislators serving on the national level. That change came tonight. Now, number is sure to rise. Carolyn Persuti, VOA News, Walk. This is VOA.
Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's Newsmaker Interview Program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on t- ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global. That's Press Conference USA Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports on Friday at 1630 and 18 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sun on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on the Voice of America. This is International Edition. With popular movements on the rise in Europe and the United States, the world may feel like it's more divided than ever. But just outside in Germany, a Jewish family who fled during the Nazi regime is now working with a group of Jews to create a place where people can connect despite differences in faith, customs, or ethnicity. VOA's Marissa Melton reports. Thomas Hardish, author whose book The House by the Lake, became a in the U.K., it tells the story of family's weekend home on the shore of Gross Gleenicky Lake, a house they only got to enjoy for nine years before the family fled the country for England. The German government confiscated the property they left behind. Harding was a young adult when he first visited the house in 1993. I thought it was, it was run down, uh, but nice. It had a beautiful view of the lake. I was shocked when I learned that the boat had divided it from the lake. He came back 20 years later at the request of villagers in Gross Gleenicky, who wanted to know more about the family who had built the house. Before the war, 25% of the residents were Jewish, and they wanted to know what happened. During that church is how they reached out to me. And it was because of they, in many ways, they opened the door that we were able to walk through. Harding's family can't reclaim the house. It now belongs to the city of Potsdam. They and a group of interested villagers have cleaned it up, and thanks to Harding's book, they've had the house declared a historic monument. Alexander House, as it is now known, is working to turn its center for dialogue and reconciliation. There's a group of just under 100 refugees from Syria, Afghanistan, and elsewhere housed at a former military barracks nearby. Their house has already held cooking and art events and a soccer tournament as a means of helping villagers and refugees get to know one another. They've also started a student program enabling German and British teens to explore the history of the house and its inhabitants and to talk about what kind of a future they build. And while the little house now out to people of all faiths and cultures, the Jewish origin of Alexander House remains important, says Rabbi Stuart Altshuler. It says about redemption. Altshuler is a London synagogue that was established by German Jews who fled the Nazi regime, his family among them. It's very important for the Jewish world to know that there's redemption, that there's a sense of, uh, of moving ahead, of building new bridges. As Germany, to many Jews, is a place of uncertainty. We don't know what happened in the past, and this presents a light future. Moritz Oening, a German lawyer with family ties to the village, 
has been working with Alexander House to assure visitors find a place of welcome. This is a place where people who have been very uncertain whether they can reconnect can come and get a bit more comfort that as a starting point and if you see that it is the, the time for that. So for this little lake, a new chapter begins. Marissa Melton, VOA News. Thanks very much, Marissa. Well, that is our show. Please remember to our website at voanews.com. I'm Sarah Williams. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great weekend. You love music? How about Blake Shelton and Carrie Underwood? Or Merle Haggard and Loretta Lynn? Experience the best in country music on Country USA. I bring you some country rock, outlaw, a little hillbilly, contemporary, and more. With a dash of entertainment news, too. So join me for Country Hits today on Go A1, the voice of America. Hello, I'm Carol Kass, host of VOA's Encounter. Join me and two from the world of politics, public policy, or academia, debating critical and controversial issues of our day, bringing depth, perspective, and insight to the world around us. That's Encounter every Saturday and Sunday, BOA. Africa has built a successful, effective social media strategy through Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and other digital platforms. We are responding to events on the African continent and in the global diaspora. We believe in the power of connection and interaction to bring news that is comprehensive, accurate, and objective. We see the changes technology as an opportunity to engage with our audiences about the issues that affect At VOA Africa, we don't just report, we help shape the conversation of the continent. VOA, your trust source for news and information. Do you lead a busy life? Not always able to favor VOA radio or TV program? If you are keen to stay in touch with world news and events, give VOA podcasts a try. VOAnews.com. Visit our website at news.com to learn how you can become a subscriber to VOA podcasts. Enter life to date. VOA News, your trusted source for news and information. We can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on The Voice of America. Voice of America. This is Ian Friedel, and for VOA's Sunny Washington, welcome to the November 9th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. We're going to pick up where we left off on Thursday with our conversation with Paul Tenorio of Athletic. As you recall, he's on his way to Europe to have the upcoming soccer games, including this weekend's Derby. 
We're joined by Paul Tenorio, the National Soccer Athletic. You're listening to the sunny side of sport on The Voice of America. Paul, be heading to Manchester. I wanted to ask you real quick about a couple of players uh, with uh, past experience in Manchester that played their first seasons here in the United States. Maker. Um, just last week, D.C. United was eliminated in the first round of the MLS Cup playoffs by Columbus. And Rooney had an incredible effect on D.C. United when he arrived in July. On the other in Los Angeles, Zlatan Ibrahimovic was, uh, you know, greeted with a lot of pomp and circumstance. He arrived to play for the L.A. Galaxy and created some incredible goals this year. But the Galaxy finished uh, one point short of making the playoffs this year. Um, who put into context the effect of those two players on MS this season? I think it, it's 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 difficult because in the league there's been this movement, right, to, to bring players and players in their prime. And I, I think the best example of that is Miguel Almiron in uh, Atlanta, the young Paraguayan player plucked out of the league, likely to be sold for somewhere in the million dollars this, this winter. Um, as a result of the success of Atlanta and the success of these players in their prime, people believed that looking for players on the back of their career and the big-name stars was no longer useful. And I disagreed with that sentiment. I think there's still room for both because those players still have quality and still increase the quality of the league and they increase the quality of players around them. And I think that was especially the case for Wayne Rooney. Um, Rooney came and immediately became the centerpiece of a team that had been built um, largely with complementary pieces and was lacking that leader. And you saw the impact that Rooney had, and they went from last place in the East all the way up to a home playoff game, um, and, and he was the catalyst. Um, 12 goals and 7 assists, but he provided belief for players like Lucho Acosta, the young Argentinian playmaker who was superb in the second half of the season once he started playing with me. So he was a season-changing player for D.C. United, worth every penny of the million for him. And Zlatan, he adds value in so many different ways. Obviously, he is a goal scorer, and he always has been. Twelve this season, second in MLS. Um, and he butts in seats wherever he goes. Um, he sells jerseys, and he's still one of the best finishers in the world. And I think... That. So there is still value to be had in these players if they have a couple of important qualities. And the most important quality they have to have is a desire to compete. Um, we've seen in players who come over who don't really care as much or just don't have enough to give. Steven Gerrard is an example of that. He just didn't have it um, when he came to MLS. But the flip side of that is Davia, who's been unbelievable in New York City, Wayne Rooney now in D.C., Zlatan Ibrahimovic. These still have something to give, and, and it's been a great storyline this year in Major Leaguer. I got to see the game last week here in D.C. Uh, Columbus managed to defeat D.C. United in penalty kicks after two periods. Um, for our African listeners, to give them a, a few players, a few names to find interested in picking up with the MLS Cup playoff as we advance into the final rounds, uh, you told a couple good players to watch on Columbus, which holds a uh, one-game-to-zero advantage over the uh, top seed in the Eastern Conference, the New York Red Bulls. Yeah, well, if you're a, a Ghanaian uh, a fan, or a fan of Ghana's national team, there are two Ghanaian starters in Columbus on the back line. Jonathan Mensah, the center, and Harrison Offold, the right back, um, both have played important roles this season. And, you know, Greg is probably the name at the top of the U.S. national team, and people ask why. Well, he's gotten a lot of the least in Columbus, a small-budget team, but they have 
fantastic quality. They found great players like Mensa and Apple who have really been helpful in this style Greg Burrell likes to play. He likes to keep possession, build out of the back. But I thought it was a fantastic performance from Columbus, not just to go on the road and beat DC United, but then to, to play just a few days later against the Red Bulls. Um, really smart tactical approach to take out Red Bulls press. And, and Columbus was able to get a one nothing win. Now they head back to New York with that slim margin um, and the very difficult task of getting a result in New York. But I think, um, you know, certainly one of the exciting teams to, to be rooting for is simply because I think the few um, underdogs that really have a chance to make some noise, whether being Real Salt Lake against Sporting Kansas City, Real Salt Lake, um, you know, they're the grinders, man. Slow the game down. They want to tell you will make things difficult. And Sporting Kansas City is much more about the soccer. They want to play quickly. They like to press in certain moments, but uh, they certainly like to uh, knock them a little bit. So um, it's an interesting matchup there. And, and then you've got the two higher-profile games. Atlanta United, I mentioned, Miguel Almiron is the best player in Major League Soccer, expected to have suitors from multiple leagues, including the Italian League, the German League, and most notably the Premier League. Um, the price on him, upwards of $25 million, perhaps reaching above $30 million. Um, he's a fantastic and then there's Joseph Martinez, who's uh, the record in Major League Soccer this year with Atlanta scoring 31 goals, the first player in league history to set that mark of 30 goals. Um, just a pure, passionate Venezuelan goal scorer. He's got experience having played overseas in Italy um, as a winger for Atlanta and has been just a phenomenal goal scorer. Paul, so much for joining us today out of sports. For our listeners who are interested in following Paul on his uh, trips in Europe coming up, you can follow him on Twitter at Paul Tenorio. That's T-E-O-R-I-O. And, uh, Paul, thanks again for the show. It was great to get a chance to catch up and talk with you today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Friedel, and you're listening to The Sunny Side Arts on The Voice of America. Next up, let's continue the conversation I started earlier in the week when we discussed some of the ballot measures in the recent election in the United States. I mentioned that voters in both Louisiana and Arkansas were directly voting on whether to allow sports betting in their states, while other election results should influence whether like Ohio, Michigan, Florida, and California would get in on the sports betting action. But before we're joined by two sports reporters from the United States to the rundown of sports betting scene in this country, I want to welcome back Prince Nesta to the show. Prince, as you all may, is Kenyan, but currently attends school in the U.S. state of Nevada, which historically been the only state in the U.S. to legally allow gambling on sports. Those sports bets have only been allowed on site casinos. First off, sport readings, Prince. Tell me what the betting culture is like in Kenya and in Africa as a whole. Sporty Friday greetings to you too, Dan. I would basically say that sports betting is actually on the rise in Kenya. I would actually say in Kenya there are more than 20 companies and they are pouring huge sums of money. You have a smartphone, you have internet access, you're good to go, you know. And this is not only happening in Kenya. I would say that there is a growing trend, especially when it comes to countries like Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal. If you look at East Africa, the trend in Uganda in terms of getting more and more popular. Thanks. So I want to know, do most fans bet on games? How popular is it? 
<laughs> as far as like the numbers are concerned, I don't want to say that all youths, you know, engage in betting, but mostly look like it, you know, because if I look at my circle of friends back in Africa, like most of them engage in sports betting. And you know, Dan, look at it this way. 35% of African youths are unemployed. And so they easily get stimulated by, you know, such grades, such opportunities. And so it's one of the ways out of poverty. And you don't even have money to bet, by the way. You can bet for as little as half a dollar to win more than a thousand dollars. Ask me, probably I'm going to tell you that 70 to 8 cent of youths back in Kenya have engaged in betting. And one of the factors that have actually made better with youths, you know, is like the jackpot prizes. You know, they're just too high. One of my neighbors actually won close to $3 million. And remember this day, it was actually on a Tuesday. At evening, there was a Champions League match. And I didn't see anyone on the streets. Because what people were doing is that they were really inspired. Like, if one of their own, one of their neighbors can actually win, why can't they win, you know? And so, most people actually indoors that night, <laughs> trying out their crazy. Prince, with all this sports betting going on, do you think people are still able to enjoy the sports for this? That's a really tough question, Dan. And the reason as to why that is a tough question is that sports betting is actually a double-edged sword as far as, you know, sports is concerned. Because we've got people that had interest in sports and love them because of the big money involved. And through that, you know, sports is becoming more and more popular. But in my opinion, I think that betting is actually eroding the sport. In most cases, you'll find that the teams that are being selected, the guys that are selecting them don't even know any of those particular teams. I know some of my friends who pray for their own team to lose. Because <laughs> they want to rip big. And if you ask them, they'll tell you money comes fast and their favorite teams won't pay the bills. And so it's a double-edged sword, if you ask me. Prince, two final questions. First, how new is sport betting in Africa, and why has it grown so much? And you've seen sports in casinos in Nevada. How does gambling there compare to what you see on your home continent? Mm, gambling in general has always been there and is not new to Kenya. But sports is actually relatively new, mainly because of the smartphone and also the internet penetration. When more people becoming technologically savvy, I would say those factors propelled betting growth in Kenya. So sports betting has never been the country. Because you know what? The government's venue. And that's one source of revenue. <laughs> I must consider myself very lucky, especially in the second largest city in Nevada after Las Vegas. And I would say here in Reno, gambling is actually on a largest compared to us in Africa. I mean, you walk into the, you know, sports books and, you know, they have high definition video screens, giant LED walls. And um, they have comfortable seating, enthusiastic fans, you know, who are always like, until like atmosphere. It's like a 24-hour gambling economy. People always on the slot machines. The slot machines are always full. So if you arrive early, you get a seat. And holding on to that particular seat is also another problem at the same time. But it's a really beautiful atmosphere. And I must admit that understanding can be a little bit complicated as far as America is concerned. In Africa, although we have like the big casinos, I still can't compare seats here in Reno and Las Vegas. So in Africa, people got their phones, especially when it comes to sports betting in Reno and Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, doing this stuff in a little bit different way, I take a mustard meat. That's Prince Nesta in Reno, Nevada. You'll hear more from Prince about the weekend of European soccer on Monday's show. But we're talking about gambling and sports today on the Sunny Sports. I'm Dan Friedel, filling in for Sam.
Let's turn now to two colleagues in the sports journalism world here in the United States. We're joined now on the phone by A.J. Perez of USA Today and Elliot Smith, a freelance sports journalist based in the Washington, D.C. area. Welcome show, A.J. Thanks for having me. Elliot, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. So, Elliot, let me start off with this question for you. You recently went to Las Vegas, so can you tell our listeners in Africa what the big casinos are like there? What's the atmosphere on the Strip, and what's the experience like in these famous sports works? It's it's really an amazing experience. The Strip, uh, I don't know if too many of your visitors or your listeners are familiar with Disneyland, but it's sort of like land for adults. Lights everywhere, the sounds, and you get inside the casinos, and you know they're massive. And there's action everywhere, slot machines, tables, people milling about no matter what time of day. And you get to the sports book, more of the same. TVs, dozens of TVs around, lots of lines, people following horse racing and any other sport that you can imagine. And it really makes for an electric atmosphere, especially if you are there for a football weekend, uh, a tournament, a bowl. Any sporting event, the sports books will be lit up with people watching and betting. So I bring you into the conversation here. Elliot just uh, painted a picture for us about the scene at these famous casinos in Vegas. So do you think there's any way that the states that are trying to make sports betting part of the economy could ever match what goes on in Vegas? No, not even close. Um, here at one of our states, Delaware, Unfortunately, at at a, one of their horse tracks, which is it, it, it did a nice job with it, and actually they it's one of the big betting companies from from uh, Las Vegas. But the same, um, it's not the same atmosphere. Um, they just, they, and legally, they, they can't offer like free uh, free drinks in uh, Las Vegas or Reno, and so it's gonna be hard for most of these states uh, to compete with uh, Las Vegas. So, uh, AJ, we'll tell our listeners a bit about the evolution of sports betting in recent years in the U.S. I know there's betting allowed to some degree mentioned in Delaware and uh, New Jersey and Mississippi. Uh, what are states that are getting in on the action where you can legally pay bet on sports now? Um, right now, it's excuse me, uh, Delaware, Mississippi, West Virginia, uh, Rhode Island, and Pennsylvania are two states that will soon be offering sports betting with uh, more kind of either passing ballot measures with the recent election, um, other bills that are winding their way through uh, their state um, houses. Thanks, AJ. So, uh, Elliot, this one's for you. You probably heard the end of uh, my chat with Prince Nesta, how phones and the mobile Internet have made betting in Africa so much easier. Uh, you don't have to go in person to a casino to place a bet. Um, what's the mobile device betting experience like here in the United States? Well, I think it's really in infancy. Um, a lot of people are so used to going to the sports book and dealing with, you know, the ticket agent as you make your bet. Um, the mobile industry makes it a lot easier, but I think people also kind of like the face-to-face uh, aspect. But on mobile, you can, you know, instantly make your bet. You can bet as the game go along. It makes it a lot easier. Now, when you are in Las Vegas, you may not always want to have that, you know, experience. you may want to have the full thing. But it's 
very crowded weekend, a very busy activity, the mobile betting does give you the opportunity to skip the line, you know, make a bet from your seat or make a bet from the table and not have to worry about going into the sports book. So the ease is there. And uh, I also was in Atlantic City as they were just starting up their sports gambling operation. And they also have shifted to mobile betting as well. So it's just another option as you to make sports bets. Elliot, let me follow up with this. I think uh, you and I were out one night uh, back in March when the famed college basketball tournament that goes on in the U.S. Uh, was in its uh, early rounds. We were at a sports bar in Virginia. We're watching the games, and at the same time, we're sitting at the table thinking, uh, let's place a bet on a couple of these upcoming games. And, and uh, you were sending text messages to a friend who was in Las Vegas. Um, some of that experience is kind of exotic. You know, you're in Virginia, you've got a friend in Vegas, you're placing a bet just kind of for the heck of it because you don't get to do it that often. Some of the, you know, the glow will be dampened when you could just phone and place a bet using your phone wherever you are instead of having to kind of have an insider do the work for you on the other country. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Something special about, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a bet on, on these games. And, you know, sitting around at the table thought it was a, a cool idea. And it was sort of, yeah, let's let's do this. This is something fun. And, you know, if, if all of the states or states have uh, access to that, I think it will magic away. I think also to separate the diehard sports gambler with casual sports gambler, um, I don't think that you know, everybody is going to be so quick to do sports gambling if it becomes more, you know, via different states passers. So I think that there, there's definitely a balance between, you know, the, the, the thrill of, of making it and just, you know, a diehard saying, I got to get my games in for today. So, AJ, I uh, talk often on the side of sports about the National Basketball Association. And during some of the playoffs and the Super Bowl, we talk about the National Football League. During uh, the World Series, we have Major League Baseball. And uh, as we just mentioned, there's the big college basketball tournament spring and uh, the college football championship We're getting ready for those. Do you think that we've seen a change in how these leagues and how these sports um, support or how they feel about gambling? Which league is friendliest toward betting these days? Uh, I would, <clears throat> normally I would say the NBA, but the NHL over the last couple of weeks, our, our hockey league here in, in the U.S. Um, and, and Canada, really made gains into um, kind of partnerships with big casinos and also uh, big uh, gambling, sports gambling providers over the last couple of weeks. Um, the NBA is was kind of ahead of the game, um, and uh, NHL, put, they, they put the first major uh, sports franchise in, in, in Las Vegas, the NFL Aggers, um, but they're even kind of slowly coming. So what do you think the effect of having, uh, you've got the lot of Knights now playing in that city, and uh, we believe that the Oakland Raiders are going to be there soon. There used to be a lot of anxiety about having major pro sports in Las Vegas, but it seems like uh, after one season of the NHL and the future NFL, things are going okay. Yeah, there's enough safeguards in place. Sure, that um, there's been no kind of shady betting, uh, kind of point shaving or being bought off. That, that's actually more likely to happen in the college ranks, and we haven't had a major college sports betting scandal here in, here in, here in the U.S. for couple decades really so i think a lot of those fears have gone away 
So, Elliot, let's uh, let's do a little uh, tourism here, a little conversation about what it's like to visit some of these casinos. If you're a, a person from Africa, one of our listeners maybe, who's planning a trip to the United States, you might hit some of the highlights, but you might find yourself interested in checking out one of these casinos. Talk to us recently on the show, some of the iconic sports venues in the U.S. Uh, so in the last minute or so, uh, what would you suggest for us in Africa who might want to check out one of these casinos in person? What would be the, the highlights for you? Well, I think uh, any of the strip casinos offers so much visitors to the country. Um, if you want to get a combination of casino and sports book, I would highly recommend Caesars Palace. It's a massive casino, and they also have a humongous sport. One of the best sports books on this strip offer betting on all kinds of sports from soccer, NBA, NFL. And the the area itself is done, you know, perfection. They recently remodeled it, has a ton of seating. They have VIP seating areas. There's a huge bar where you can sit, play video post sports at the same time. So I would definitely recommend Sea Palace as a place for, for your visitors to check out. Well, thanks uh, for that insight, Elliot. I really appreciate you joining us on the show today. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. AJ, it was great to talk to you again. Thanks for all your hard work covering the uh, the sports betting business. Uh, great to have you on the sunny side of sports. Thanks for having me, Dan. And that brings us to the close of our ninth edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Thanks to Voice of America producer Workinger. Thanks to VOA engineer Nick Ivanoff. And thank you for tuning in. A special thanks to Sonny for having me in the last seven while he's been out. Sonny will be back on Monday. I'm Dan Friedel in for Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the Sunny Sports. Hello, this is Pete, host of Nightline Africa. Please join us every Sunday at 16 and 18 hours UTC. Nightline Africa is VOA's Africa's weekend show that provides news, features, and entertainment news in Africa and the world. Tune in. You will be there. I guarantee it. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FMs on Saturdays and Sundays, 1500 and 2000 UTC. This is Science in the U.S. Geological Survey says some percent of the Earth's surface is covered with water. A couple of recent studies have also suggested that there are water deep inside our planet's mantle. Scientists suggest after its formation about 4.53 billion years ago, Earth was a dry, hot, and molten planet. A heavy bombardment of water and ice-bearing asteroids and comets several into a billion years later provided the supply of what we rely on today. 
Now, research by a team of geoscientists from Arizona State University proposes another source of Earth's water they say has been overlooked. The sun and planets were formed from a large cloud of gas and dust containing an abundant supply of hydrogen. The study suggests a combination of all, along with Earth's rocky materials, could be the origin of most of our planet's water. In VOA's Rick Pantaleo. VOA Africa has built a successful, effective social media strategy through Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and other digital platforms. We are responding to audience on the African continent and in the global diaspora. Believe in the power of connection and interaction to bring you news that is comprehensive, accurate, and objective. See the changes in technology as an opportunity to engage with our audiences about the issues that affect them. At VOA Africa, we don't just report the news, we help shape the conversation on the continent. VOA, your trusted source for news and initiative. Are you wandering around lost in a musical desert? Well, your ears to the fantastic, the one and only, the music mix on The Voice of America. Bathe yourself in this musical oasis. From the north to the south and from the east to west, the African music mix plays only the best. Tune in at 200, 300, 1200, and 1300 UTC GMT. Every day, right here on VOA Africa. When news breaks, VOA Africa is there. Bringing you news. Listen to Africa News Tonight, Monday through Friday at 16 and 1800 UTC. And our five-minute news come to you at the top of each hour. VOA Africa, your trusted source of information. This is VOA News. I'm Tommy. President Trump is invoking new national security powers to deny asylum to migrants entering the country illegally. We get more from AP correspondent Sangar Magani. They're the same powers the president used in pushing through a version of his travel ban, which the Supreme Court upheld. Signed a proclamation saying migrants applying for asylum must present themselves at ports of entry. We need people in our country to come in legally and they have to have merit. The move is likely to face legal challenges because U.S. anyone is eligible for asylum no matter where they enter the country. Sagar Magani, Washington. A cell phone video captured Wednesday night's deadly attack at a Southern California AP correspondent Mike Garcia. The video is disturbing and haunts. Dallas Knapp was inside the Borderline Bar and Grill in California Wednesday night when suddenly gunshots were being fired. On his cell phone, noted the attack and his escape from the carnage. Guys, run! Coming out this door! A dozen people were killed in the shooting. Authorities believe the gunman, Ian DeLong, ultimate health. I'm Rossia. Man stabs several people, killing one in the Australian city of Melbourne Friday. They believe the attack, the country's second largest city, is linked to them. 
The Counterterrorism Command has taken a lead role in the investigation. Victoria State Police Commissioner Graham Ashton says suspect Dandist was originally from Somalia and was known to police. Police opened fire on suspect as he was swinging a knife at two police officers in the downtown area of the city. Before one officer shot him in the chest, he was transported to a hospital where he later police had initially responded to a report of a burning car. When they arrived scene, they found that people had been stabbed. This is VOA. California has a of emergency in the northern part. A wildfire has left a trail of destruction in its path. One fire official said the blaze had pretty much the town of paradise. A number of injuries have been reported. It's not yet clear there have been any fatalities. Authorities and media say the town is ablaze. Thousands of structures have been leveled by the flames. It's burned more than six square kilometers and has forced the town's residents to evacuate. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley told reporters the United States remains committed to enforce sanctions against North Korea until the country denuclearizes. VOA Steve Miller reports from Seoul. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley told reporters that North Korea hasn't enough on the denuclearization front to warrant lift sanctions. Arcs prior to entering a closed-door U.S. session called by Russia to discuss the topic. Look at resolutions and the way they were set up was they specifically dealt with the threat of peace and security by weapons of mass destruction and ballistic missiles. That threat's still there. They still have their facilities. They have not allowed inspectors to go and inspect the nuclear facility or the ballistic missile facility. And as long as that's happening, we need to stay the and we will continue to do that. Haley that Washington had caught Moscow breaking North Korean sanctions and characterized the meeting by Russia to strive with Pyongyang. Steve Miller, VOA News, Seoul. With the exit of Jeff Sessions as U.S. Attorney General, a potential show of newly energized Democrats over the investigation, of Russia's involvement in the 2016 presidential election to be gaining momentum. The Washington Post cited this close to the acting attorney general, Matt Whitt, and reported he has no intention of wreaking himself from over special counsel probe. Meanwhile, White House counsel Kellyanne Counts, uh, Conway says this is already best. The president even said today we spent millions of dollars a year and a half. There is no Russia collusion. I see many of you don't use words anymore. And uh, we hope that this comes to a conclusion. We've done everything we can buy and help it to come to a conclusion. And that's As the Whitaker planned to consult Justice Department ethics experts on whether he should recuse himself, a spokeswoman said we're following regular order. A federal judge has brought to a halt temporarily the construction of the billion-dollar Keystone XL pipeline. The U.S. District Judge said in the order that there needs to be further analysis of the environmental impact. The judge's order was handed down as a Calgary Bands Canada was preparing to begin building the pipeline. Tommy McNeil, VOA News. This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Good evening and welcome to Africa News Tonight, the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for pan-African news and world developments. I'm Kim Lewis, Washington. I'm Yisruhib, coming up on Africa News Tonight. The last couple of days have been to some of the worst cones, but also the areas where peace is being rebuilt. 
And frankly, I'm shocked by how vulnerable the situation is and how the country now is on the track to conflict. That's Jan Igland, Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council, speaking on the massive humanitarian needs and escalating violence in the Central African Republic. We'll have tales coming up. At least 25 people were killed when three car bombs went to a hotel in the Somali capital. The Italian government is hosting an international conference on Libya, hoping to reach an agreement on unifying the country. We'll have these stories and lots more ahead on African... The Norwegian Council NRC warns continued humanitarian and political neglect of the crisis in Central Republic will lead to new catastrophes in the country. The Secretary General of the NRC, Jan Eglin, is touring the country and has found massive humanitarian and escalating violence against civilians and aid workers. These thousands of single mothers are raped each day because they live in camps surrounded by armed men and have safes to go. Next week, the UN Security Council will meet to renew the mandate of the Peeping Force, Muska, which is set to expire on November 15th. Eglin says CAR is now the world's third worst humanitarian crisis behind Yemen and Syria. He spoke with me from Bangui. Well, I'm now in 